What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options. In stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Yes, here we are after the Super Bowl concludes with the Olympics still ongoing and we're ready to talk all about it on the latest edition of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Thank you for finding us. I am merely the somewhat competent, somewhat rested host with all the college basketball that's going on right now, everything that's going on, late night hoops, whatever. Glad to be with you. I'm TJ Reeves. He is the owner, the operator, the purveyor of SportsMediaWatch.com. You read him all the time. John Lewis back aboard, a.k.a. Paul here from sportsmediawatch.com. John, I believe that the coverage on NBC ended about 14 minutes ago. Did you get your fill of Super Bowl 56? Welcome in. You know, it was was an interesting game, a solid broadcast. It was, um, you know, I said it was an interesting game. Honestly, I found it to be a little bit, you know, less of a, I'll put it this way. I, I actually think last year's game was more dramatic, at least in terms of the storylines. I know it was a blowout, and uh, but you know you had Tom Brady winning his yeah, winning a Super Bowl with a different team, you know, first year with the team, uh, and uh, going up against Mahomes. There was something about last year's Super Bowl that even though it was not nearly as good a game, I did kind of feel like it was a little bit more compelling and uh, a little bit more uh, of you know. It was easy for me anyway to lose track of that game last night or Sunday night, that is. And we should make mention it was easy for a lot of people to lose track because while it had a dramatic finish, there was a stretch in the third and the fourth quarter where there were seven consecutive punts, not one or two, but it was punt, 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 punt over and over again that kind of tapped down maybe some of the enthusiasm and excitement that picked back up. Uh, And in the end, the Rams get the storybook finish, just like the Buccaneers, as you referenced, two years in a row now, a team plays at home in their home stadium and wins the Super Bowl. Had not happened for 54 years. Now it happens twice in a row where you play at home and you win the game. Again, however you found this podcast, make sure that you are subscribed. Whether you found us through a social media link, whether you found us through John's website, sportsmediawatch.com, make sure that you follow us or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, as we always like to say. Uh, And again, it will come automatically to you early in the week, usually off the weekend when we get the opportunity to kind of digest everything, look over the ratings, et cetera. Let's dive right in, John, to the Super Bowl 56 broadcast on NBC Sports. Uh, as it turns out, it's a dramatic finish to the game. Uh, and in the end, uh, NBC got what it wanted there. How did you think that Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth and company, Michelle Tafoya, Catherine Tappan that were on the sidelines, 
How did they perform with a game that was a weird game with kind of some ebbs and flows, but a dramatic finish? How did you think the broadcast went? Oh, I thought they did just as well as they ever do. Um, I didn't think it was excellent in terms of, you know, it wasn't like A plus going out on top, but the game didn't really allow for that either. Uh, It was a solid broadcast by the best team in the business. You could make the argument. And, uh, you know, uh, ultimately, I think a better game, you would you would have wanted a better game, but you can't always get that. Keith Jackson got to go out with, you know, USC, Texas. That doesn't happen every time. And it was a close game. But as you said, all the punts in the third and fourth quarter, it was easy to lose track and then, you know, uh, not getting at least a chance at overtime. Uh, so it, it wasn't the greatest finish, a bit of an anticlimax. But, you know, Madden, uh, not Madden, excuse me, Michaels was good. Obviously, people in Cleveland were upset because they seemed, you know, they thought he took some shots at them, whatever. People on Twitter are always upset. Nobody right. cares, right? So um, other than that, I can't think of really any negatives. It was, it was, they did what they had to do. They went out and did the same professional broadcast they always do. I really thought, and you've talked about this on previous podcasts, Al Michaels still on it, very much on it with the calls, yeah. the clock, the time management, setting up Collinsworth with kind of the what ifs, give me your insight down the stretch. Uh, I mean, it, it was still vintage Al Michaels. Collinsworth was his usual uh, insightful self. I mean, if, if that pairing is being broken up, because Al is going to go do something else either with Amazon Prime on Thursday night or maybe, and we're going to get into this in a, in a few minutes here, maybe Monday night football is in his future again to go back. Uh, you know, that's a great way to go out. They were, they were on top again, and they got to work a couple of playoff games leading up to it, but now the final one being the Super Bowl, that tandem, which has been in existence now, what is it, about 13 years, 13, 14 years, John? Correct me if I'm wrong on um, that. Strong tandem. Yeah, well, they started back in uh, 2009 after the Super Bowl. Madden retired uh, Steelers Cardinals, so about but uh, about 13 years. Yep. Look, uh, great partnership. Uh, Michaels had a better relationship, a better chemistry with Collinsworth than he did with Madden. Um, you know, and uh, probably Al's best partner ever. Uh, you know, you can always tell when Al has really good chemistry with someone. I've mentioned before that I was never impressed by Al's work on the NBA, but he had great chemistry with Doc Rivers. And that was, a you know, even though Al was very shaky on the NBA, because they had such great chemistry, it was actually a pretty good broadcast. Then the next year he works with Hubie Brown. They don't really have any chemistry at all, right? Like we know that Al is still friends with Doc Rivers to this day. With Hubie, it was just kind of shaky. You know, it, you got to have the right chemistry. Uh, you know, he had, uh, he had solid chemistry with Madden, but great chemistry with, with Collinsworth. I really don't know what Aikman would be like for him. That would be very odd, um, you know, and uh, I, I think ultimately Al can work with anybody but, you know, you, you got to have the right partner. Remember, it didn't work out with Boomer Sison at all, right? Correct. Um, that was a complete, you know, they just did oil and water uh, for, for them. Uh, it worked out kind of with Dennis Miller, although not really, right? It just worked out better than people thought it would. Right? Only a couple of years on that one. And, and the Boomer relationship, it was a three-man booth with Dan Deardorf, and then it was Boomer, I think, only for one year in the booth, uh, just he and Al Michaels before that before that disintegrated, and they booted uh, Boomer Esiason and he ended up on CBS, uh, yeah. as it turns out. So, 
uh, we will find out. I, I'm I'm interested in what is the next thing. So let's morph into that on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. If if you were to hone in and make the prediction, is he going to end up on Thursday nights, Al Michaels on Amazon Prime, or do you believe it's legit the smoke that is out there that he could be back on ESPN with Monday Night Football? I know we've talked to you about this a couple of times on the podcast coming down the stretch of the football season, but what would your prediction be now here? If ESPN is willing to outbid Amazon, then it would only make sense for Al to go back to Monday Night Football. Thursday Night Football is not big enough for Al Michaels, right? Especially now that it's going to Amazon exclusively. So is Al Michaels going to really go and be the voice of a, a, a package that isn't even on TV? Because if Al Michaels was out there calling NFL Network exclusives, which he actually was when he did Thursday night that first year, wasn't he? I think you probably get a couple of NFL Network exclusives, but mm-hmm. you know, that's too small for the big, the big voices, right? And uh, Amazon's not even NFL Network in terms of you know, exposure. The, we, you know, these ratings for Thursday night football are going to be very low. I mean, it'll be worth the money for Amazon and certainly for the NFL, but you're going to see significant drop off in, in viewership. And by the way, I'd be shocked if the NFL gave Amazon a great schedule because the NFL knows fully well that they're going to prioritize the broadcast networks. And, uh, you know, if you Amazon will basically get a full schedule of NFL network, uh, NFL network exclusives, which means maybe they might get one really good game, but otherwise Jacksonville and all the other teams that nobody ever wants to watch, right? (laughs) So, you know, the Jets will be on multiple times, I'm sure. The reality is that uh, if Al can get Monday Night Football, he should try to get Monday Night Football. And you say, well, he can still do some games for NBC in the playoffs. Yeah, well, if he does Monday Night Football, starting in this next deal uh, that begins a season after this one, he will get not just a wild card game, but a divisional game as well. His schedule will be the same in the playoffs as it was for NBC, a wild card and a divisional. And then beyond that, if you end up, you know, if he sticks around particularly long, when you're talking 81, 82 years old, well, we're going to have an 81 or 82 year old president of the United States coming up. So it might not be as weird, <laughs> right? Um, I mean, he could do another Super Bowl and he's not going to get to do another Super Bowl for NBC. And you know something? If I'm Al Michaels, I say, I'm the number one, I'm not the number two. I'm not on the B team. I'm on the A team. He can be on the A team with ESPN, but the money's going to matter more than anything. Okay. So let's, let's put it out there. Troy Aikman may be in play again with the reporting that I've seen from Andrew Marchand and some others. Aikman can opt out of his deal with Fox. He has, I believe at least one year left on that deal, but he can opt out of it to do something else. Could Aikman be with, uh, with Al Michaels, could the name Sean McVay enter? I will just say this on the podcast. Uh, there is some Tampa connection to Sean McVay. I've talked to people that are connected to the McVay tree, if you will. Uh, it is legitimate that he is contemplating would he walk away right now and recharge the batteries from coaching and go to the broadcast booth. Might he be in play, John Lewis, to be a broadcaster on Monday Night Football, potentially the Rams coach fresh off the Super Bowl. I mean, ESPN would jump up and down somersaults on that one. All right, educated speculation. What do you think of that, of that juiciness there? Well, you know, ESPN is always interested in the new and glittering. We have no idea if Sean McVay would be good. Um, I don't know that Troy Aikman wants to leave Fox. I think Troy is open to it. 
But I think Troy wants to probably continue doing Thursday and Sunday night games or Sunday afternoon games and get a dual revenue stream, Fox and Amazon. And I think that would make more sense for him than to go and, you know, go to ESPN. Um, Let me interject one thing, if I can, if I can jump in. Sure. So they've really worked his schedule well, he and Joe Buck both, because Buck has been doing baseball at the beginning of the season, the NFL season we're talking about, including the postseason. So they really tailored the schedule around these two guys, and they made sure, because Fox has the NFC package, that they were frequently doing a Dallas Cowboys game where he lives. To your point that if he's now on the Amazon B-list games, where you're constantly having Jacksonville, let's say, uh, the Denver Broncos, who haven't been good for a little while, you know, pick the, the Carolina Panthers, who don't have household players, not a large market. If you're constantly going to be doing those games on Thursday, instead of doing Cowboy games where you live on Fox, uh, you, you wonder if that influences his decision to not do the Amazon thing and maybe look stronger if he's not going to be at Fox at the Monday night thing. I just wonder, what about that little avenue there the point that i raised what do you think well you know i mean ultimately again it's there there is a prestige element here and espn has an advantage that it hasn't had before because espn for a lot of years was a b team as well they didn't have a super bowl they have a super bowl now so if you go to espn you can do a super bowl uh now he's not going to get to do a lot of cowboys games so for espn they only get one a year so he's not i mean that is an element that he's going to have to sacrifice but uh, you know, he'll get a decent schedule, not a great one, but a decent one for ESPN and ABC, certainly a lot better than on Amazon. And, you know, if, again, it's all comes down, it all comes down to money. ESPN has got plenty of money. They don't have money that they're willing to pay, you know, their loyal employees who've been there for 10, 20 years and don't, you know, break the bank in terms of box office, but they've got money to, to offer stars, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, probably executives too, but that's another story for another day, right? Uh, and when it comes down to it, you know, uh, I think if you're ESPN and you've been flailing on Monday nights for years and no disrespect to Levy, Riddick and Greasy, but like I've said a million times, the Manning cast thing was, you know, ESPN giving a vote of no confidence, right? So, you know, you can actually have for the first time a marquee Monday night team, not a, well, we'll just use some in-house talent because, but an actual marquee Monday night team. Not Tessator and Booger McFarland, not Levy, Riddick, and Greasy, not McDonough, but like, and that, you know, that kind of probably came off a little disrespectful to those folks, but I mean, no, but I know oh, what you're saying. It's yeah. almost, it's almost as if since Mike Tarico left the relationship with John Gruden, they've just been trying college football broadcasters three in a row put into that spot. And, and, and in fairness, Sean McDonough is an elite Emmy award winning guy that's done previous to doing college football with ESPN. He had done the world series on CBS had done uh, even uh, major college football in the NFL. I think uh, some on CBS and then came uh, to uh, ESPN as a college announcer. Yes, but also plugged into Monday night football for a couple of years, but, I understand what you're saying. If you've got a chance to get Al Michaels to come into that role and be the play-by-play guy, he's going to trump any of those guys that they have doing college football. Uh, well, the, that's, you know, that's what you've said, and I agree with you. The real, the real way to look at it is: Would any of those guys be the number one for any other network? Right. Right. On the NFL, 
And Levy is good, but he wouldn't be number one on Fox or CBS. He wouldn't be number two, you know. I mean, he wouldn't be ahead of Ian Eagle and and Kevin Burkhart, right? So, th- and that's what it comes down to. You you want someone who would be a number one person anywhere. Mike Tirico was that. They have not had that since. Sean McVay again, juicy. Predict for me. Does he stay coaching, or does he want? It would not be unusual. Bill Parcells did this a couple of times. He did it after winning a Super Bowl with the Giants. Where he went to the he went to the broadcast booth for a little while, recharged, and came back to coach again. Others have others have done that too. Uh, Bill Walsh, the late Bill Walsh, won the Super Bowl um, for the 49ers and then went to the went to the NBC broadcast booth with Dick Enberg. Remember in the early 90s, those that, that go way back. I know I'm a little older, John, on that. This would not be unusual to walk away on top for a year or two or whatever and and go to the broadcast booth. What do you think? Well, you know, I mean, I think his age plays a role here, which is to say he could easily come back in 10 years and still be a younger than usual coach. So, you know, make a little money, take some stress off, enjoy life. I mean, why work if you don't have to work, right? You know, and and, I mean, it is work. No sensible broadcaster is going to not do the research and the watching of film. You've got to work hard to make it at that highest level, right? I think sometimes we think it's a bit like Frasier, where if you ever watch an episode of Frasier, Frasier just walks into the studio and Roz says, hey, five seconds to air, right? (laughs) You know, Uh, in reality, you got to do a lot of research, a yes. lot of preparation. And I'm uh, so laughing it, because I've done radio for so long and I've worked with so many that were just like that. And so mm-hmm. that's why it hit home. It was perfect on Frasier that that is appropriate, that there are a lot of them out there that can do that. That's not TV. That's not Monday yeah. Night Football. They're not just figuring out who the players are and getting ready to broadcast the game at 8 o'clock Eastern time. That's not, that's not exactly. happening. That's your point. Exactly. So, I mean, there is still travel. And there is still a lot of work to do, but it's not nearly as bad as, you know, coaching a team, right? Sure. Uh, And uh, the money, as we've seen, is really good. Tony Romo is set for life in a way that he wasn't even after playing in the NFL, right? I mean, uh, you know, you can have a really good life and uh, no matter research you have to do to broadcast a game compared to the research you have to do to coach it. So I could easily see him doing that. Life is short. You know, and uh, why, why, you know, I think the way you, the way you should do it is you should spend your youth not working. And then when you're Hubie Brown's age, you work a lot to keep yourself, you know, you work as you work to keep yourself, sure. you know, going right. That's the, we've got it inverted. I, I, I buy all of that. All right. So the ratings are also in, we've, we've talked about the ratings frequently and how the NFL has excelled. Uh, NBC put the numbers out. I always love for you to decipher those. You've been writing about it on your site as well, depending on when they're hearing us and where they're hearing us. Uh, go ahead and, and go over the numbers as NBC is proclaiming it's the most watched Super Bowl, at least in what, four or five years. But break it down for us, John. Well, it's uh, it's all very confusing because you have 15 different numbers, right? So uh, I, I will note NBC says that the across all platforms audience was 110 point, uh, excuse me, 112.3 million viewers. But Sports Business Journal is saying that that audience was actually 110.4 million. Either way, that's an enormous number. Sure. But of course, you know, that is across all platforms. And, uh, you know, the NBC only audience was 99 million. Add to that Telemundo, which was uh, 2 million. So you're up to, uh, I believe, 101 million. And then where you get a little bit confusing is that streaming figure. 
So NBC this year has put out a different streaming number than has been there in the past. They are saying that the streaming audience was 112, excuse me, was 11.2 million viewers, right? Uh, and that's not comparable to past years because what they're really saying is it was 112, excuse me, 11.2, forgive me, I keep dropping that decimal point. It was 11.2 million viewers uh, when you factor in co-viewing. So all of these years that we've had this streaming stuff, you know, the, the extra streaming viewership, it's always been the average minute audience, which is basically, you would think, viewers, right? But what NBC is indicating is that all, the all this time, those numbers were devices. So in the past, when last year's Super Bowl was said to have had 5.7 million streaming viewers, it was 5.7 million devices. So this year, that number is 6 million devices watched by 11.2 million viewers. So NBC is using that number, that 11.2 million viewers, to take the TV-only Super Bowl audience of 101 million all the way up to 112 million. But if they were using the number from past years, the devices, you'd be talking about 107 million or thereabouts. Sports mm -hmm. Business Journal is saying 110 million. Um, I am not, uh, I have not really read deep in detail the article that they just published on that front, but that they're saying 110. I don't really know. Um, the reality is that the only number that I can tell you is official is, you know, 101 million across NBC and Telemundo, which again, you're talking about over 100 million viewers just on linear television. That's the power of out of home. The rating, of course, just a 36.9 on NBC alone. I've asked NBC for the, uh, for the combined rating with Telemundo, have not gotten that yet. But I would imagine at 2 million viewers, the Telemundo broadcast would probably nudge that up a little bit, maybe into the 37 range, right? But still, 36 or 37, you're talking about the lowest rated Super Bowl since 1969. So there is still an issue here. The Super Bowl under a 40 rating for two straight years. That hasn't happened in a long time. It's very unusual for the Super Bowl to be under a 40 rating, much less, you know, 36. I mean, that's not, usually the Super Bowl is going to double the, the conference championship game. That's not the case this year. One thing that I want you to clarify, because I've seen you writing about this though, too, that rating number, while it is less, the population has greatly increased. And so how does that factor in when you say, hey, that's the lowest rated one since 1969, yet obviously the audience is so much more. The overall audience is so much more than 1969. Explain that a little more if you would delving into the numbers. So all the rating is, is the percentage of television homes watching a program in the average minute. As there are more homes, you will have a more difficult time getting the same rating. Uh, the series finale of MASH is going to remain the highest rated show in TV history because they were able to get a 60 rating off 50.1 million households in mm. an environment where you only had 83 million homes. So out of those 83 million homes, the series finale of MASH had 50.1 million homes, 60%. Mm. Flash forward to a couple of years ago, uh, 49ers Chiefs, 50.2 million homes, more homes than the series finale of MASH. But in a TV environment where you have 120 odd million homes, that equals a 41.6 rating, right? So it is very true that the household rating 
it will be impossible to hit the high notes. That's why it was so impressive in 15. Not that the Super Bowl had 114 million uh, viewers. What was impressive was that the Super Bowl had a 46 rating, which was the highest in many years. Because it is that was the Patriots Seahawks dramatic finish, correct? The one that we're talking about, that 46 rating that you're talking about. Exactly. So, you know, uh, I'm looking uh, at that uh, sports business journal article now, and I'm I'm not really sure how they're saying 110.4. I'm curious. They say it's TV plus streaming plus out of home. NBC had 112.3. I'm not sure what the discrepancy is there. Um, You know, obviously, it might be the case that NBC is counting some streaming viewership through Adobe Analytics that Nielsen was already counting. And so when you take out what's being double counted, maybe that would bring it down to uh, 110.4. But I don't know. It's, you know, again, there's a million different numbers now. um, And uh, I know a lot of people don't like using the household rating, but and, and the household rating has its limitations. But you know, in a world of PR and, you know, hey, everyone's going to be setting a record every year if you, if you only listen to PR. In that world, the household rating is kind of like adjusting for inflation, right? I don't believe that the household rating tells the full story because I don't think the Super Bowl did badly. And lowest rating since 1969 sounds a lot worse than I think the game actually performed. But I do think that that kind of a number you know, should give a little bit of pause. And we're talking about, oh my goodness, what a great rating. Holy cow. You know, it's more complex than that, I would say. Moving along the Olympics. We've talked a lot about this the last couple of weeks. So NBC uh, did what we knew they were going to do, which is bookend the Super Bowl coverage with the Olympics in the morning and the the late morning Eastern time, right into the Super Bowl pregame coverage, Eastern time, all day, all afternoon into the game, and then book in with Olympics right after the Super Bowl was done. What do you make of that? And what else do you want to say about the Olympic coverage on NBC as it continues into its final few days as we release the podcast here for the Beijing 2022 Winter Games? What about it, John? Well, I think NBC has to be very pleased that the Olympics ended up getting over 20 million viewers after the Super Bowl broadcast. I think that's a big win for them. Most watched night of the Olympics on NBC alone uh, since uh, Pyeongchang, which is the previous Winter Olympics. But that means it topped every night of Tokyo, which for a Winter Olympics is unusual when you're talking about the Summer Games. It's one nice night amidst what has been a really rough go. Last night's coverage, if you were wondering if there was any Olympic halo, the least watched night on NBC since that first night, the first Thursday, fewer than uh, 8 million viewers for NBC's main broadcast. So look, uh, it is what it is. NBC has a few more nights of this. They're still winning the night. They've got the most watched show on TV, but obviously Mm -hmm. it's just not at all what you would expect for an Olympics But once it's over, after two straight years of Olympics, I don't think anybody in NBC is going to be sad to have uh, 18 uh, or 20, I guess it's what, 30 months until the next one. I think they'll be quite pleased to have a little time off. One thing that has struck me, I don't know how much you've seen of this or or watched this, the announcers are doing the best that they can, uh, detached, but when you're watching um some of these events you you can tell it is just not the same when they're sitting in a tv studio this is for anybody trying to call it off of a television uh, nine or ten thousand miles away from where it's going on in a, in a different uh, hemisphere 
different complete day part where you're doing it in the morning and it's nighttime there or it's nighttime here and it's in the morning there. You, you can tell. And again, you and I do this much more so with scrutiny that the average person doesn't have. But I just I kind of feel for some of the fellow broadcasters where they're trying to figure out what happened by watching on TV. Uh, a perfect example, I was watching just as a, a, an aside that ties in here. I was watching the downhill skiing and this was on uh, Saturday night, which would have been Sunday morning in Beijing where the snowstorm was happening. And they actually eventually had to pause the men's downhill skiing event because the snow was so bad. Um, and in that instance, I believe that Dan Hicks and, and is it uh, Ted Ligety that's on the call, that's a former Olympian uh, and a former medalist for the U.S., I believe they are there. But even they are sitting on scene trying to see on the monitor, and they can't see what's going on. And then when they went to the other sports, like the snowboarding and some other things that were going on, and the snow was coming down, I just I felt for those that are sitting in a in a control center in New York. I'm I'm married to the TV to the TV broadcast, and I can't even see what's going on. We're not there. It's just difficult sometimes, uh, and they made it more difficult with most of their their broadcasts being remote this year. And we've talked about that as well. That they they didn't they don't have what is it John like eighty percent of the coverage and the announcers are not there are not on scene yeah. in China. Well, you know, uh, the professionals, and you're obviously one as well, will say that it is impossible to do the job well remotely. Uh, and uh, when it comes down to it, I understand that I've never done the job. I've never done play-by-play, -play, any of this kind of stuff. I will say as a, as a viewer, it, you know, there's just a couple of things that are the most notable, which would be the delay. Um, I, I don't know if that's been an issue on the Olympics, but it was with the NBA. If you remember the Luka Doncic game winner against Memphis, Dave Pash's call was a great passionate call, but he's like a beat behind the action. It sounds ridiculous right. because right. the delay. And then the worst part of it was you didn't get a good sense of the fan noise, which was awful during the NBA mm -hmm. playoffs last year. So those are the two things that I would look at as needing to be fixed. Ultimately, I don't necessarily see why it can't be done remotely with the right technological moves. Now, obviously, if you're doing a, uh, an event remotely, you're wanting to save some money. Uh, I mean, we can talk about COVID all we want. Let's be real. They want to save some money. Uh, and you, to me, if you want, you can do remote broadcasting well, and this is me speaking from the outside, you know, looking in without any experience. So I might be totally off base, right? But if you have enough cameras, if you ensure, like some of the remote setups that I saw last year, you know, you had Kevin Harlan sitting in his basement looking at a computer screen, maybe right. a tablet here or there. Look, if you want to do this right, you got to have, a, you got to have what John Madden had. Right. That all 22, all the little screens in, his, in mm -hmm. his house. That's what you need to do. And if you do it like that and you ensure that you can see every single possible angle and you've got cameras everywhere and drones everywhere so that there isn't a single spot of the arena that you can't visualize. I mean, I would think, again, the layman not having the experience that that would be something that would make it more of, uh, you know, a, a quality broadcast. But if you're just going to do it with them looking on the same monitor that we're looking on right now, the computer monitors, probably not even as good a monitor as I've got, right? Uh, you know, so, I mean, of course, you're not going to get, uh, I'll put it this way. 
the COVID was in a lot of ways for a lot of people an excuse to say, oh, well, I can't do a halfway decent job because of COVID, right? And so we saw that across the board. We saw that with, you know, uh, well, you know, I'm just not, it's, I'm not going to adjust to the circumstances. I'm just going to put in the half job. But the reality is that, you know, if you're going to do this, if you're going to do the remote broadcasting, you got to put your best effort into it. And that means you got to outfit your situation with the best monitors, the best cameras, make sure that you are not putting your talent out to dry. And, you know, if the networks are willing to do that, then they might be able to get away with this. But of course, they wouldn't save as much money. So it would defeat the purpose. Love the insight as you're hearing John Lewis. I'm TJ Reeves. It's a sportsmediawatch.com podcast as we rock along here with all the different uh, subjects. Just one more on the Olympics. And then I want to do a little love it or leave it before uh, we are done. Uh, again, the Mike Tarico situation is, as we described it, and I'm still uh, a week later, I was posing to you the why that again, they have him going back and forth. I don't understand. You know, he was throwing to the Olympics on Sunday night from the field at SoFi Stadium to get the Olympics underway and get things uh, get things started and then uh, was anchoring from there. But now they've moved him back to New York. I don't understand why they couldn't have just set something up in Los Angeles at their command center in Los Angeles and have him, come, you know, quarterback it from there. Frequent flyer miles, I guess, babe, on this because he's back in New York for the finish of the coverage or, or they're building in Connecticut. He's back for the finish out of their facility there. Well, you know, I mean, it comes down to uh, ultimately you have to want your talent to be fresh and alert. And I don't necessarily know how that's going to be the case, uh, you know, and the Tariko's a pro. It's not, he's not a minor in terms of, he's not going into the mines with the pickaxe. Right. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> if you want your talent to be at the best that they can be, then you probably don't have them flying all over the place all the time. I'm reading this uh, AP article. Tariko said, uh, this is quoting from the AP, Joe Reedy. Uh, Tariko said he needed only two cups of coffee Sunday to help get him through the day, which included the five-hour pregame, presenting the Vince Lombardi Trophy to the LA Rams, and then hosting the primetime Olympic show. Uh, you know, I mean, hey, good for him. Yes, he says, I feel great. I'm not dragging at all. And just like uh, someone who is uh, in, you know, uh, a just like people who reach, you know, older ages and say they're in the best shape of their life, right? Every, every player says they're in the best shape of their life at, you know, in their 19th, 20th year, right? LeBron says it too. We see, we see the record that the Lakers have. Right? <laughs> so, you know, I mean, look, Mike says he feels great. Um, but I mean, let's be real. Uh, it, you know, very few people feel great flying back and forth like that. I mean, you, you see pro athletes complaining about their schedules all the time. If you want people to be at their best, you know, I'm sure Comcast, because forget NBC, Comcast can afford to, uh, to have some kind of studio. I mean, they've got an owned and operated affiliate there, right? I mean, what's the big deal? Just have him anchor from, from there or, you know, keep him outside of SoFi Stadium. It's a nice backdrop, right? Right. Uh, in Los Angeles, yeah, they've got the, uh, the obviously the West Coast facilities as well as, uh, as you're mentioning, uh, KNBC out there. And just to go over it one more time, he was in Beijing. He flew from Beijing after the first few nights to New York for what, I think, three nights? that he did in New York and then flew on Friday to Los Angeles 
to be part of the Super Bowl preparation and the coverage and the game on Sunday. And then I believe Sunday night, late night was flying all night Sunday and all morning Monday to get back to New York to be in the New York studio for the Monday night coverage. That is a lot. I don't care who you are on uh, on the travel on trying to get it done. That's why they're at the highest end uh, doing what they do. We move along. Let's get to it. It's uh, it's time. Love it or leave it. Subject number one. I know we all love us some Charles Barkley, and we're going to see much more of him down the stretch of the uh, regular season of the NBA, the NCAA tournament coverage through Turner and CBS. We will see him. You were on a conference call uh, and listening to Charles Barkley this week. Uh, Give me a little bit because he's talking about leaving it, as in leaving broadcasting maybe give me give me a little insight here on charles barkley sir charles and what you heard yeah well uh this was actually earlier today i asked charles about his future he said he still plans to retire or leave tv at the end of his contract he indicated that uh, he actually thought his contract was ending earlier than it is so he'd wanted to leave at 60 but his contract goes until 61 uh, and, uh, you know, he's been very consistent on this over the past year, but realistically, Charles has been saying he wants to leave for a decade. Uh, literally. I mean, he was saying in 2012 that he wanted to leave at the end of his contract in 2016 or even before it. Now, having said that, you could, you could look at it one of two ways. You could say, well, obviously we're not going to take Charles seriously because he was always talking about leaving. And he used to talk about, you know, uh, being the governor of Alabama too, and he never did it. Or you could say, if you've been saying something for 10 years, eventually you're going to pull the trigger. And he's been there for 22, 23 years. His, wow. you know, Yeah, uh, since the year 2000. He, when he started on TNT, he was in his 30s and freshly retired. You know, a little like Sean McVay, right? Potentially. And, right. you know, he was a, uh, a peer of the players uh, who uh, played with them, played against them was social with them uh, and, uh, you know, part of their generation. Now he is 20 years removed from any of these players. There are players in the NBA who were born after he stopped playing. Uh, he has not a lot of, not a lot in common with these folks. They kind of have a, a bit of a, a prickly relationship sometimes with these younger players. I mean, he's made mm-hmm. it with Draymond, uh, kind of a friendship now, but, you know, th- that was pretty uh, somewhat hostile at varying points. It's obvious he's not the biggest fan of LeBron James or the Golden State Warriors or Kevin Durant or Kyrie. And, you know, I mean, he's probably like, enough. I don't want to do this anymore. I mean, I'll watch the games, but I don't want to have to be, you know, doing this all the time. I think what's keeping him where he is is that he is, uh, you know, honestly, that he and Kenny and EJ and Shaq love each other, right? Sure. It's not you know, um, and, and that probably is keeping him around and he loves Turner and he has great personal relationships with them. You know, this is an ESPN where they chew you up and spit you out and don't really care. Right. Turner is kind of a family. And ultimately you end up with uh, people who uh, like Charles might stick around a little bit longer than they want to because of that family atmosphere. Uh, and, uh, but I clarify I, 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 for me, because you were saying this, does he have a couple of years left? Two, yeah, well, he said he's gonna leave in two years at the end okay. of his contract, which I do not interpret to mean this season being part of that. Uh, he okay. says uh, he's going to be turning 60 next year and then 61 the year after. He says he'll be retiring at 61. Again, if you don't take him seriously, I get it, but I would say, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. If he's been thinking about leaving for 10 years, eventually he'll leave. 
And I was just thinking this when you said this, because uh, we talked about it with John Madden, uh, that, that there's just a generation right now that only knows the video game or maybe knows him a little bit as a broadcaster. They didn't know him at all as the Raiders coach. Yeah. We are now to the point, John, am I this old? where the current generation doesn't know Charles Barkley, the player at all. They basically only know him as the NBA analyst and part-time college analyst in March. I don't want to accept that, but that, I mean, that's basically the case right now that they don't know that he had an outstanding hall of fame caliber playing career, never won a championship at the NBA level, but he was a player and was a, was a tremendous player. Um, uh, in, in his own right uh, there in the NBA, Sir Charles. And I was thinking one more thing while we're doing all the travel stuff. It, it is an easier setup for him because he lives in Alabama, which is close proximity to Atlanta. And rather than traveling all over the globe or all over the country, let's say trying to get to New York or LA or you know Milwaukee and then go the next night and be in Phoenix to actually do games, going to that Atlanta studio and working your show on the weeknight or maybe a couple of nights a week uh, during the regular season is not the same hardship as traveling all over the country to do the games. Yes. In the playoffs, you're there basically every night or virtually every night doing them there for about that four or five weeks. My point is it's a lot less than what's on the broadcasters that are having to travel all over the country to do the games. Not the same for Barkley, for Kenny Smith, for Shaq that are in an Atlanta studio. Uh, that point real quick before we move on. Yeah. I mean, one, I would say Charles, I believe lives in Arizona, so he's a bit further right. Right. So uh, Alabama, he's from Alabama, but, uh, you know, I, I do think the travel is easier, although anytime you are having to relocate for long stretches of time away from your home is tough. Right. And, you know, they got to be there. Think about the bubble scenario, being away from your family from July all the way through uh, September you know, in Atlanta, you know, the entire time. I imagine that uh, the travel is easier, but not easy. Um, and uh, so uh, certainly there's no easier travel than not leaving your house, right? Uh, and back, back to that again, and everybody broadcasting from home. Very true. Yeah, yeah. Very true. Yeah. And it's easier than getting to Bristol, Connecticut, where ESPN is. And that's why so yeah. many have fled that situation on not trying to travel and and get to there. All right, let's get to another subject. Love it or leave it. The Super Bowl commercials. I wanted to hit you with this one. Did you have one that you loved or are all of them in the leave it category? Did you have one that stood out that was memorable? Well, you know, Larry David is always fun to watch. Bingo. Uh, Larry one, yeah. Loved that one. I'm in agreement with you. Keep going. I mean, it's interesting because I don't believe for a second that Larry would believe in crypto. Uh, you know, uh, just he doesn't, right? In fact, I I'm lost sure. track. Were there 57 or 93 crypto yeah. ads during the Super Bowl? It was incredible on how many there were, including Larry David there, too. Very true. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I thought it was a, a, a solid ad, even though obviously the idea that, uh, oh, Larry's always wrong, so trust us, crypto is actually good, you know, whatever. I, I'm not, you know, that and NFTs are just, uh, I'm not. Did we set the all-time record for electric car ads? If we didn't, yeah. it had to come close because I lost track again at about nine or 12 of them where everybody had an electric car. Yeah, I'm kind of stealing from somebody on Twitter, but I don't know who it was. Uh, but uh, crypto and electric cars, very relatable to the average American viewer, right? <laughs> very true. Good line. Good line uh, on that. And, uh, you know, we, we saw obviously our, our fair share of uh, Hollywood sci-fi type ads. Um, 
And they even they even brought back the retro on one of the was the Chevy car ad. They brought back uh, the actor and actresses uh, from the Sopranos with the theme on the Chevy and the reunited and the and the Chevy. So we saw some of that at seven million dollars a pop uh, for some of those. Um, all right. Uh, anything else here that we need to cover before we are done, John Lewis, on this edition of the podcast? As we've talked Super Bowl, we've talked Olympics, we talked a little hoops. Uh, here on the program, anything else that strikes you? Um, you know, no, it's the Olympic Super Bowl are pretty much the dominant stories right now. Heading out to the NBA All-Star Game, of course, Michelle Tafoya uh, making her entry into politics. So I'm sure people will be uh, deciding that they never liked her to begin with. Coming up now, <laughs> right? uh, but, uh, you know, uh, that's going to be interesting. Uh, politics, uh, she must really, really be devoted to it because it's uh, such a negative uh, space, right. uh, but uh, you know. But you know, as you were as you were saying earlier, when you get older, you might you want to try different things and do different yeah. things after you've been doing the same thing. And here we go back again. I realize these are first world problems. I realize this is the elite of the elite in broadcasting. But when you've been running around for five years in a row, eight years in a row, every weekend to a yeah. different NFL city to do another game and another game and another game, I can understand. Where after a while, you want to try, if you have the option and the opportunity, you want to try to do something else after you've done it for the eighth year, the 10th year, the 12th year, and you want to try it. Some some love it and will do it for 15, 20, 25, 30 years. And others say, I, I got to do something else, whatever yeah. it is. The lure, well, like, the lure you know, is there. Like I said, I, I think we've got it all inverted, right? You you rest and relax when you're young, and then you work really hard when you're older to keep yourself fresh and, you know, alert and everything that's uh, if only that's the employers thought of it that way and could make it work that way but i kind of i kind of mm -hmm. like that uh that line of thinking by the way uh, you and i have have said this i will say it again here and i know you join me we wish dick vital well who at the time that we are taping this podcast has on, undergone voice surgery in boston 82 years of age again dickie v undergoing cancer treatment it's affected his vocal cords uh his doctors have recommended that he not do any broadcasting Nothing really above a whisper in terms of talking until he could have this vocal cord uh, surgery as part of his cancer treatment. Um, so we just we wish Dickie V well, because, again, whether uh, he grates on you and has over the years with calling games, he's genuine. He's authentic. He's raised a tremendous amount of money in specific for pediatric cancer research and pediatric cancer treatment and the families of pediatric cancer situations. Uh, hundreds of millions of dollars that the V Foundation has raised in and around with Dick Vitale. There's a lot to be said for that. And the college game is not as fun and not as enjoyable without the, they're awesome, baby, with Dick Vitale. So we hope we get to hear that again at some point. I know you join with me on that, John Lewis. Well, I hope we get to hear that at some point again. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, it makes you think. I mean, obviously, Dick Vitale has been very blessed and owes so much of his life to ESPN, but there's no doubt that, you know, you talk at the level and the volume that he's talked for all these years. It's probably a reason why he's had to have these multiple surgeries on his vocal cords. Sure. And, you know, ultimately, it's not mining, right? It's not, you know, uh, mucking out bathrooms or any of these other <laughs> terrible, you know, jobs. I mean, I don't even mention that to be funny because, look, people have to do that. It's terrible, terrible work. That I'll give you another one that you can use in your repertoire. Roofers in the state of Florida yeah. from uh, about April to October hating life in the heat. Yes, yeah. good luck with that while we're at it. 
So, I mean, it's not nothing, that. it's, yeah, it's not like, it's not that, but it, you know, it, requ- it requires a lot, right? It requires a lot. It requires sacrifices that, you know, one, deplete you, you know, uh, even just all the way down to that travel. I mean, like, yep. what are we doing here with, you know, people traveling where they don't have to travel? Mike Tirico did not have to travel from Connecticut to LA and back. You know, uh, so uh, look, uh, bosses will uh, try to de- to deplete you in any way they can if it means that they can make money. Uh, luckily for people in this industry, the money is typically pretty good. But, you know, it's not always, you know, good enough to justify, say, being Sarah Walsh and flying out with newborn babies to Bristol, only be told you've been laid off. What are we talking about here? You know, yep. Anyway, that's a digression. The point is that uh, ultimately, uh, Dick Battelle is a blessed man. ESPN has done right by him, but you know, it makes you think. You know, uh, this is something where would he have had this issue with his vocal cords if not for the work that he's done? And what does that mean? Does that sure? And he's chosen, obviously. Here, here's your point uh, again to continue to work into his mid seventies, his late seventies. Still have the grind, still have the schedule, and it keeps him going. And he has been adamant that that is his desire to continue to do his job, not riding off into the sunset, at least not yet. We'll see if he can get back there. Let's hope he can. Get back there with the surgery on that. With that, I think that's a full show on this edition of the podcast. Anything else, John? Are we done? We good? Everything good? No, we're good. We're good. Uh, Another uh, interesting sports week coming up. No doubt about that. We thank all of you for hanging with us. Uh, Again, however you found us, social media link, John's website. Thank you for doing so. Something else in closing, by the way? I did want to mention I was on the... uh, the podcast by Bob Mann today. It is called the Hot Media Podcast. Okay, uh, it's uh, you know basically the hot stories in uh, in in. I was going to say in, there's a couple of different ways we could travel with that name of that podcast. The hot right. stories of the day. The kids. It, it means something else. It means perhaps there's great looking people, male and female. <laughs> it's the hot podcast. I don't know. Yeah, well. Yeah, well, anyway, he, uh, I was on that podcast uh, today, so you can check that out. That's Bob Mann of uh, Caldwell University, and give that a listen. And I was also on a German podcast, or it wasn't a podcast, it was German public radio last week as well. So you probably can't listen to that, but I thought I'd hear that. You just, you just uh, stick that in there, along with being right here on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. John, thank you. We thank you for finding us. However you did so, social media link. Uh, through John's site, as well as sportsmediawatch.com. Keep reading that. And again, uh, follow or subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts. We hang out here uh, and talk it up. Talk up everything in the sports media with John Lewis. I'm TJ Reeves. Thanks for being with us here on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. Bye. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.